Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 84 of the MTB podcast presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery. I am Jeff. I'm Liam Woods. And I'm Jared Erickson. And we are here to talk about all sorts of various mountain bike things. Um, this episode, what? Why'd you give me oh, that no, look? I'm excited. Oh, he's excited. Yeah. You gave me an oof like something was wrong. Like, oof, I'm excited. Oof, okay. He's yeah. excited. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to answer a lot of questions from you guys. We've been posting this on YouTube and Instagram, asking everyone for questions. And we got a ton of cool questions about the bike industry, bicycle components, bike geometry, tons of stuff. And we're going to kind of rapid fire them, but also make sure we still go in depth and actually answer some questions and bring some good mountain bike value to you. Uh, we're going to talk about some of our recent favorite rides and changes to our bikes and new bikes that we got. Did you get a new bike? I, I built a bike, yeah. Okay. Did you get a new bike? I did get a new bike. So did I. We all might need to go to counseling for this situation. Uh, in other news, we have a currently a new DJ, uh, DJ Pineapple. I'm not sure what he's doing. He's out driving his Mini Cooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our new DJ is Mr. DJ Meatball, who is ironically vegan. Squish. Squish. Meatball. DJ Meatball. Favorite recent rides. Who's got the best one? Mm. Well, I think you have a pretty crazy one. I do, yeah. The last podcast I talked about the fact that I was training for this 36-hour multi-sport adventure race, and I did it and survived. Was it really 36 hours? It took 36 hours. Oh, jeez. It was like 35 hours and like 42 minutes or something. Madman. Yeah. It's it's pretty – it's kind of confusing because you – it's all points-based and then time is used as a tiebreaker. So you're basically given a map in the beginning and then you're given three different maps at the different transition areas and then you get uh, basically just GPS coordinates. You plot them on the map yourself. No, no electronics are allowed to be used in these adventure races. So you have to navigate with a compass and a physical map, which is extremely hard. And you have to go get these checkpoints. And the checkpoints, there's mandatory ones, and then there's extra credit ones. The extra credit ones are worth points. So the idea is it's a points race. Whoever gets the most extra credit checkpoints still finishes within 36 hours. And then technically, if you have the same amount of points as another team, then they use time as a tiebreaker. So that was the way this adventure race was structured. And it into, it was 130 total miles, a um, bunch of hiking, a bunch of trail running, a total of 14 hours on the mountain bike. Which was awesome. It was it was basically wow. started in Mammoth, ended in Bishop, Eastern Sierras of California. For those that don't know, a uh, lot of elevation, a lot of heat. I thought I was going to get heat stroke at one point, but the most miserable part to me was the kayaking. We had to kayak across this lake for three and a half miles in like twenty six mile per hour winds. <laughs> it was it was hellacious. So that that was my most memorable mountain biking ride sort of excursion. Wow. Um, it was a good time. I mean, I, I trained all of us on our team as a four-person team. You all do it together. You have to start together, finish together, and stay together the whole time. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good time. It was our first time. We were actually in the top three in the race for about the first 10 hours, uh, mostly because that first leg had a bunch of mountain biking, and we were all strong mountain bikers. And then it came to the nighttime navigation section, and we all got lost in the woods for about four hours and lost a ton of places and went all the way to the back of the pack and got wow. smoked. <laughs> so we, we still did pretty decent. We finished mid-pack. Um, 30 total teams started, and I think 23 teams finished. A lot of people DNF because injuries and fatigue. And really? People got heat stroke, and yeah, wow. it, it was pretty tough. Um, but yeah, so I think we could have done better if we knew how to use a map and a compass better. 
And we knew how to do that, but we just weren't patient enough with reading the map and understanding the terrain. So, yeah, it was really hard. It was all of our fir- all of us, it was our first, like, big adventure race. So it was cool. I don't know. I mean, I've done plenty of mountain bike races as a kid and a young adult, and this was the first, like, totally unique, different non-mountain bike race, but still had 14 hours of mountain biking in it. So wow. it was a good time. I survived. As wild. The hardest part was, like, not sleeping at all. Right. Um and then, honestly, the most painful part was brushing my teeth after. <laughs> like, I've told people that, and they're just laughing at me, but I skipped a nighttime toothbrush and a morning toothbrush, and I was just eating garbage the whole time, basically, like electrolytes and sugar and whatever. Um, and then, like, brushing my teeth after it was, like, so painful because they were all sensitive, and it was, yeah. it was bad. Well, also, yeah. when I do big rides, I, like, make a point of brushing my teeth right away because you get so much dust and dirt in yeah. your mouth oh, yeah. and we it's had like all of that. sandpaper for it's your a, teeth it's a gross sensation yeah so I, I actually can totally understand that yeah totally. that was the worst part and other than my hip flexors exploding because of the miserable kayaking situation and yeah yeah but wow. otherwise it wasn't too bad it was good fun nice so yeah that was my most recent memorable ride <laughs> nice what do you got willie um most of my riding's been pretty uh consistent with the normal stuff but jared and i did make it up to the bike park last week mm-hmm. so that was pretty rad getting a first bike park lapse of the Which season one? big bear you went snow summit yeah snow in summit big bear. in big bear california yep roughly two hours outside of la or something like yeah that? two hours three outside hours. of la three hours from us so yeah. um yeah we went out weekday which is like the best i think to go on a weekday no lines we did like 12 laps which is like fourteen thousand feet of descending or something like that yeah um, pretty heavy day with the boys and got in some party laps. So nice. Yeah, recently, just yesterday, I asked Jared on a group ride, our California shop group ride. I was like, Jared, what are you doing for training for this big <laughs> Colorado trip we have this month? And he's like, Well, I did fourteen thousand feet of descending the other day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? On the chairlift. <laughs> and there, there was like five other people around, and they all were just kind of stumped. And then I was like, What do you mean? Are you at the bike park? You use a chairlift? And he's like, Yeah. I'm like, Okay, well. <laughs> Great on the downhill. Yeah, super easy climbing up is what I said. Yeah, yeah, super easy, <laughs> super fast and smooth going yeah. all the way up. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. Was that your most memorable recent? Yeah, that's going to be my most memorable recent ride for sure. It was such a good time riding the bike park. I haven't ridden chairlift in a couple of years, so amazing. I've been riding a lot of Sky Park, you know, because um, I spend a lot of time up in the Lake Arrowhead yeah. area. So Sky so. Park, for those that don't know. Mm-hmm. Sky Park at Santa's Village. Um, fun little bike park, no chairlift, so you got to pedal up to earn your laps, but... yeah. Trails are pretty short, but they're fun. It's like we don't really have a lot of like fun jumps around. Do you have a season pass here. there? I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's Lake Arrowhead, which is also by Big Bear. Right. A few hours outside of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. SoCal. Yeah. So. So no lift. No but lift. They make you pay. Yeah. But, you well, they to... take really good care of the trails. Which yeah, is that's nice. what I've heard. I've heard the trails are super nice. Yeah, they take really good care. Like you know, they you know work on the jumps a lot of time and mm-hmm. clean it up. So that's nice. They're really good about trail maintenance. But um, yeah, just. It's nice to not have to worry about hikers Do on the trail. People ride too. e-bikes there. Yeah, oh yeah, it's yeah. a pretty popular choice because the they just is, e-bike up the fire road and yeah. then charge the downhill mm-hmm. line. E-bikes at Santa's Village is great for the ride up, but the terrain's not quite steep enough going down. Right. So I feel like if you really want to like get after it on the jump lines, like a cross country bike or a new age cross country bike is almost the best. Yeah, or like a short travel trail short bike, travel I bike. Guess. Yeah. yeah, like you know one down three, country yeah. man. Yeah, like my SB one fifty is a little bit too much, but. Mm. I can also like hook to flat and not have to worry about it. So yeah, it's nice. Yeah, yeah that is nice. But yeah, just like spending time up in the mountains, it's really nice. Yeah, that is nice up there. Yeah. Very cool. All yeah. right, new bike stuff. Liam, what'd you get? You want me to start? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
my main new bike, well, actually, I'll just start. I have a SB150, and I just threw some new parts on that and threw on some DH casing tires for the bike park season. And riding trail bikes with DH casing tires is pretty awesome feeling. So <laughs> I did that. But my new bike, I built up an Evil Following, which is their 120 mil rear travel bike. Um, 29er. But you didn't necessarily inch. build it up. Well, didn't we build that for stock and then you just kind of fell in well, love with it yeah, and decided so, to buy it yourself? Isn't that what happened? Yeah, okay. exactly. Just so to clarify the story here. Yeah, so what I, I, was, I was getting to that point. Yeah. So I okay. built it up. Okay, physically you built it up. Yeah, yeah like he was I, the one who built it. So, yeah. um, you know, f- six months ago when we were doing pre-orders for 2021 because everything's kind of screwed up, uh, Evil had this bike on their pre-order that said Evil following Sid Axis was the whole description <laughs> and is pretty expensive. So I jotted down one on the pre-order and we moved on. Six months later, the bike came in. And I was peeking in the build kit, and I'm like, oh, sick, new evil, blah, blah, And I peeked in, and I'm like, wait a second. And I started pulling through the build kit more and more, and I'm like, oh, my God, this bike's incredibly specced for a stock build. Yeah, super high-end. Super high-end. Do high I have end. the reverb axis on it, too? It's full axis, oh. XX1 with reverb axis. It's got SID Ultimate Suspension front and rear with a remote lockout. Um, it has i9 Ultralight 280 carbon wheels, so 20 internal i9 hydro hubs carbon rims does it have um, the system spokes for my nine or yeah oh, yeah it does it does have the oh, system wow. alloy machine spokes nv m6 barn stem and it had level ultimate brakes so that's how it came bone stock with uh recon race tires so i looked at that and i put on the scale and actually i chatted jeff like the second i put on the scale and i'm like dude this thing's 25 pounds five ounces and i replied no it's not <laughs> like, the scale was broken something's wrong like, so there's no way typically evil followings come a little bit more trail spec to you know kind of trail wheels mid-range weight mid-range size a pike up front you know code or xt or G2 or XT brakes, kind of like a trail build on a 120-mil travel bike, like a 130 or 140 fork. So when this came in, kind of on this, like, lightweight, I don't know, I guess downcountry spec, XC Plus bike, spec'd out, and it weighed that much, I'm like, oh, wow, it's pretty incredible. And then, of course, I start, like, getting obsessed with it, and, you know, I thought about it for, like, a weekend, and then... Hit up a buddy that wanted to buy my bike, and, it's, yeah, and it snowballed into me selling my bikes and wheels, and I bought this bike. So what um, happens when you work in the bike industry. You fall in love with one bike, and you start texting a bunch of people. Do you want to buy my current bike? It's, it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. you're, you know, in a, a dude's world, the best partner ever. But yeah. you can't really do that in real life, so, like, you live through your bicycles. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's a good analogy. Yeah, you, you get over it, you buy a new one, and you keep you keep You're on going. Constantly falling in love with exactly. different things. That's and, a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. you can have multiple bikes you're in love with simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at currently. Just yeah. keeping your roster stacked. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But and bikes. We're yeah. talking about bikes. Here. We're talking about bikes. Yes, yeah. right, right, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I swapped a couple parts out. Put on some uh, Minion DHR two two point three tires front and rear. That's like my favorite little bike combo. It's like great weight to weight ratio. EXO casing. EXO casing, yeah. Um, put on my saddle of choice. Uh, cut the bars down. Bike's 120 front, oh, 120 rear. Yeah, 120 front, 120 rear. Mm-hmm. And I took off the level ultimate brakes because Need those were, those were yeah, not very power. powerful. What'd you put on there? I put on code RSCs. Which Codes? Is, well, <laughs> what about G2s? Let me explain. Yeah. There's a part shortage I right am now. I triggered. 
<laughs> I can't. I'm. I don't have the patience for the explanation. You can't bike. put codes on a bike that has a SID on the front. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You've completely ruined everything. I can do whatever I want, Jeff. <laughs> you can. It's true. You can. And seen there's no G2s anywhere. I actually bought okay. the codes off Inventory of a. Inventory problems. Yeah, I bought the codes off of a customer. All right. Because there's no codes or G2s anywhere. I'm cooling mm. off. Cool I'm off. Still <laughs> irritated, but I'm, I'm understanding. <laughs> and, now and actually, what's happening. A lot of the crew I ride with all ride codes on their XC bikes because we don't really ride them like XC bikes. Yeah. So it's like not really any heavier than a G2, is it? It's like not really. Maybe like a, a couple of quarters Every in your pocket. Every gram counts, Jared. So as it sits now, it's basically 27 flat with pedals ready to ride. Nice. 120, 120. Beautiful. Fun bike. I'm yeah. really into it. I have a uh, couple weeks on it and ridden it a lot, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm digging it so far. Remote lockout is t- kind of needed for the way I ride it, mm-hmm. um, just to get the full efficiency. But it's not straight where we live, too. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, kind of straight up, straight down. Yeah, so. like paved stuff, like yeah. Sycamore, and it's yeah. nice for the dual remote yeah. lockout. Yeah. What's your new bike, Jared? Well, my new bike. It's not actually technically. Mine, but it is because I built it for my girlfriend Paige. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've been riding it like it's mine. Um, sorry, babe, but uh, it's really fun. She's this is probably what, not gonna listen this far. <laughs> no, she does. She does. Wow. Um, so supportive of this her. This is what happens when you build a bike for your significant other that ends up being more fun than your own bike. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an SB100 frame, and I think I've actually committed two of the most punishable mountain bike crimes out there. Um, I've got mismatching suspension. I've got a fox fork on it with a rock shocks. Ah, rich- oh, slow down. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> fox, fox 34 right, step cast fork um, with a rock shocks. Uh, what is it? It's like deluxe select plus I got off pink bike from some guy. Um, this this is what we've been reduced to. <laughs> yeah. We literally work at Worldwide Cycle all day, every day, and we buy the staff buys parts from pink bike because inventory shortages are such an issue. But I think even the more punishable. Mountain bike crime I've committed is having a mix match drivetrain with yeah. a SRAM cassette. Which we talked about on the last podcast, and right? Chain, and one of those podcasts. A Shimano shifter and derailleur. <laughs> Flame suit on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it works amazing. I have to say it works really well. Oh, okay, well, slow down, slow down, because I came back. I was out <laughs> visiting our shop in Pennsylvania for a little over a week, and I... Uh, and I came back into town at our California store, and I, you know, Jared was working on his bike, and then Liam and I were in our little lounge having lunch, and he said something like, "Oh yeah, Jared, Jared, Jared did the SRAM on, SRAM Nano mix match or whatever," um, and and then Liam was like, "And it doesn't work for a while." And then you the other day we were like sitting there, like I can't, you know, messing around with it, and then you're like, "It shifts perfect in the stand," and I was like, "That doesn't necessarily matter." How oh, no, does it's it shift? Now. Well, it's okay. Yeah, it's perfect. But was it harder to get perfect than if you'd just done all SRAM or all Shimano? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Well, here's the thing. I didn't really I would still never recommend this and, shenanigans. Well, did you do what I suggested? I forgot what you suggested. What was that? Shimano chain. Oh, no, not yet. No. But I heard, what I did do I was the I, Shimano chain makes this combination work better. Well, the fact that okay. it's engineered for the cassette probably helps, huh? Actually, it's a SRAM cassette, though. Oh, it's SRAM wow. cassette, yeah. SRAM cassette with SRAM chain, SRAM cranks, SRAM chain ring in the front. Um, But I didn't realize (laughs) the SRAM guy that I am that you can turn the clutch on and off on the derailleur on the Shimano. Uh, Yeah, it's one of the Shimano patents that SRAM can't access. Yeah, so I turned the clutch on and it seems to work a lot better now. Wait, so you just had it off because you didn't know you'd... Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> weren't, Dude. Weren't you, weren't you yes. in? Are you for real? Weren't I'm, you in the comparison video? Yeah, no, I was not. Okay. Yeah. All right, you've, you've been... Like yeah, a, one, of the, one of the yeah. cool things that... Well, there's they, they have their pros and cons, right? So a Shimano rear derailleurs, you can turn the clutch on and off, yeah. and you can adjust it. And the only reason you turn it off ever is so you can take the rear wheel out of the mm-hmm. bike easier. That's why. Yeah, that's it. Okay. End of story. Like Otherwise, like it's on 100% of the time. Like, Good to know. It's supposed to be on 100% of the time. You only ever turn it off when you're taking the rear wheel off of the bike. Okay. Um, but it is cool that you can adjust it. And Shimano has that patent. SRAM doesn't. However, SRAM has the whole cage lock patent. Yeah. Shimano doesn't, which makes it infinitely more easy to take the rear wheel off because you push the cage forward, you lock it in place, boom, rear wheel comes right out. So, yeah, so, like, it's hard to say, like, one's better than the other. They both essentially do the same thing. They're clutched drivetrains that keep a chain from falling off and, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, now it works great. No complaints. I got to say I like the shifter, how I can shift in t- like two years at once in two yeah, years down cool. the set. Like yep. it definitely that's helps. That's a really cool thing Shimano shifters have that SRAM. Yeah. yeah. I mean, given it's not Axis, is that's, that what you're going to say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. SRAM Axis, you can just shift the whole range. Yeah. Whatever you want. Yeah. It's true. But yeah, for what it is, it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Got to say. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Jeff, what's your new bike? I, uh, well, I've been riding that Revel Ranger, which is 115 mil in the back and then 120 in the front, 29er. Mm-hmm. Down country ish trail bike, whatever you want to call it. I love that thing. But we are doing a collaboration trip with Chasing Epic. We try to do those twice a year now. Um, Chasing Epic does all inclusive guided mountain bike tours all over the country. And we're going to Crested Butte, Colorado later this month. Woo! And that's going to be an awesome trip. But I needed a little bit longer travel bike than the Ranger, just given the train we're riding. So I purchased a Revel Rascal oh, yeah. from one of the staff here. He was. <laughs> I was like, man. I was like, Chance's bike looks rad. Like, I've, I need a rascal. And and I and then I was like, hey, what are you doing with your rascal? And he's like, oh, I just I just posted on Pink Bike. I'm gonna get an SB150 because I want a bike park bike. And I was like, I'll buy it. I bought it. And he's like, okay. And then everyone else was like, what? You just sold this bike like that? And I was like, yeah. I just I want that. I want that bike. Like, I need that bike. So again, <laughs> you bought. A new used bike off an employee because yeah. well, couldn't I couldn't get a, get a new one anywhere else well, in the yeah. time frame. So. We, we have them trickling in, but yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, bikes are scarce right now mm-hmm. just in the in the situation the bike industry is in. So yeah, Revel Rascal, which I rode a Revel Rascal for almost a year. Mm-hmm. What well, That was yeah. in 2000, the whole of 2019. I rode that bike almost a whole year, and I love that bike. Maybe that was six a pretty months. cool Rascal that you had, too. Okay, maybe six months. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I took it to New Zealand. Yeah, I rode it in New Zealand. And yeah. you got the dash after that, right? Yep. Yeah, which was also, so the Rascal I was riding was 130 mil travels in the back, 140 in the front, 29-inch wheels. This one from Chance has a different air spring in the front, so it's 150 in the front, 130 in the back. Um, yeah, it's rad. Rode it yesterday. I love those bikes. They're super fun. So, pretty sweet. Yeah, now I have my multiple two gravel bikes, one in our Pennsylvania store, one here, flat bar sort of gravelly thingies, and then I have my down country bike, the Revel Ranger, and then the Revel Rascal. I should probably sell something. And then I have, like, three friends asking me to give them my dirt jumper because I haven't ridden it in forever, and everyone knows that, and it just hangs on the wall here. Wait, where yeah. is it? Is that still on the it's wall It's on the wall there? back there, yeah. I like that dirt jumper. That's how many times you've walked by it. You don't even know it's there Jeez, anymore. man, I should ride <laughs> that one day. You should. We have I a free bike park. I actually have a buyer for it if they want. Oh. Yeah, but who's going to buy that for what it's worth? I know a guy. We'll talk after. Raymond raising his hand in the back. Yeah. I, that thing is sick. I don't know. Well, it is nice. It's, I, it's got That's the problem, though. It's got really nice parts. I don't think anyone wants to buy that for even what I paid for it we'll, at, like, wholesale cost. We'll talk after. All right. Well, I yeah. still kind of want it, though. Well, then don't sell it. <laughs> I'm emotionally attached. I don't know, man. I'm, 
You want a bike? I have to think about it. You're gonna have to ride it in order to determine if you really need it. I rode it at the skate park about a year and a half ago and had a great time. (laughs) (laughs) Raymond was there. Liam was there. (laughs) We have a sweet, brand new bike park that you need to go. I know. I've never even been. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make a point of doing it. We've donated money to Sopwe Bike Park, and I've never even been there. Well, not the right thing for me to be doing. We're gonna have to change that one of these days. I'll ride your bike there. No, no, (laughs) not for not for rent. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, let's jump into listener questions. We're going to try to make these podcasts predominantly listener questions because we get a lot of really good questions through Instagram and through YouTube. And yeah, they're just valuable stuff. And we, and we sort of handpick the best ones and rip through them. So are you guys ready? And now a word from our sponsors. Good day, mates. This is Jack from Down Under. I've got the best Australian mountain bike cornering courses you've ever seen. Everybody knows Australians corner the best on every mountain bike, every race. It's world-renowned, and we could teach you how to do it. We've got online courses and in-person courses in Perth, Australia. Check us out, jacksaussiecutties.net. And now, back to the show. Listener questions we got a lot of questions we got a lot of good ones we got some really funny ones but we also have mostly valuable mountain bike knowledge related ones number one question can you sum up the current bike industry situation in less than a minute yes can you timer starts now ready go okay so the bike industry exploded in 2020 in popularity amongst all various disciplines and the industry more or less sold out of all the existing product that it had and it takes a long time to manufacture hard goods so we're in this big fat inventory lull where we just don't have enough product to supply the current demand in 2021 and that's pretty much it. Everyone's working really hard to make the stuff because everyone wants to have inventory because everyone's revenue and therefore mortgage payments depend on having inventory and selling it, us included, all the brands included, all the factories included. So it's just a challenging situation because of an explosion in consumer demand in spring and summer of 2020. And time. Perfect. And to follow up on that real quick, can I keep going? You can follow up. Uh, oh, because it says to follow up. Yeah, follow up, please. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the NBDA, National Bicycle Dealers Association, they have a great podcast, which they also put on their YouTube channel. And the vice president of Specialized was on it recently, and it was an hour-long talk, and he pretty much explained in depth all of this. So if you really want to nerd out on what's going on in the bike industry, go listen to him. He's a super smart dude. and It's a really good podcast slash YouTube video. And our current focus, yeah, so the follow-up with where Worldwide Cyclery's focus is over the coming years, of course, we want to continue running an amazing media slash retail bicycle operation that we've always done. Uh, But we're also working really hard on Kettle Mountain, which is the apparel brand that we acquired a couple years ago and trying to make really good cross-functional apparel that works on the mountain bike, off the mountain bike, all of the above. So that's what we're doing. And if you're watching this on YouTube, by the way, you might notice that Jared is no longer wearing a shirt. That's because it is July 1st, and it's really hot in this room, and Jared got so sweaty that he took his shirt off. Yes, I did. Next. I'm still sweating. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. This one's for Jared. Okay. This is a Jared How question. much barbecue sauce can I fit in the Yeti SV-150 seat tube? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Here's the thing. This is going to vary depending on the frame size. So I'm assuming he is uh, size large because that's what I am. So size large, SB150 frame, your seat tube. I'm going to assume that you can fit at least two and a half bottles of a standard size barbecue sauce bottle in there. 
and uh, you know, it could be Sweet Baby Ray's. It could oh yes, be, I was gonna ask, is it gonna be Sweet, Sweet Baby, Baby Ray's? Ray's? It could be Sweet Baby Ray's. I did not know? think you were gonna um, take that question this serious. I'm gonna say All two right. and a half bottles. That's my guess, and I'm, we're gonna have to confirm <clears throat> that at a later date. Can I add that I love yeah. barbecue sauce? It's my favorite sauce. Let me yeah. tell you. For all, uh, all sandwiches, yeah. salads, sandwiches, so if yeah. burgers. This is a quick side note, but if you're going to pick like Carolina style, Kansas City style, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of style barbecue sauce are you going for? I don't know. You like it like a vinegary or a mustardy? You just said you like barbecue sauce. You must know the difference. I mean, come on now. Um, I kind of like to mix it up. Smoky's pretty good sometimes. Yeah. Get a little smoky barbecue. Yeah, Kansas City style. But just the classic sweet baby rays just hits. All right. I wish we had a really good barbecue place around here. We do. Where? Uh, Meat Locker. Where is that? It's on Tia Boulevard. Oh, that's that's further than five minutes. Oh I'm come on, man! <laughs> if we if we're in Ventura, <laughs> right, we'll go some Ventura. I'll Wait, take you. Wait, they have prepared barbecued sandwiches. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. Oh. You, you just not they don't just like sell meat there. You know, man, you come over to my house and I'm gonna cook the some meat. Good barbecue. That's a lot of that's a lot of work. I'm not cooking it. <laughs> okay. Side note on this same topic, which is actually pretty entertaining. When I was nineteen, I lived with a couple buddies and we were all racing mountain bikes the whole summer and it was a really good time. Probably the highlight of my life. And uh, one of them peaked early. Yeah, peaked early. One of them put a pair of grips that I'd bought in the freezer, and uh, and didn't tell me where they were. And I was all pissed off about it for like a week. And then I found them in the freezer, and he thought I'd find them earlier. Oh, anyways, I was really mad at him, so I decided to get them back. So while I was in the freezer, I realized in the fridge was a, a whole big can of feta cheese. So I went down to the garage, and I took the seat post out of his dirt jump bike, and I just poured all the feta cheese and packed it into the seat tube and then put the, and then put the seat post back in. No, you did it. I had to swear to God. Dude, you're 19 years old. This is like the shit you do to your friends. And the, well, the, the funnier part is never said anything. And I was like, why? How on earth has he not said something or, like, got no. me back? I was like, I was getting worried, so I asked him. We called him John Bo. I was like, dude, what? I was like, did you ever notice anything funky about your dirt drum bike? And he's like, he's like, oh, I sold it. And I was like, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, you know, I sold it last week on Pink Bike. Some guy Pam picked it up, and I was like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I think at that point I was like, and then I guess the guy. And then he moved out it. and never talked to him. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> That was it. There. That was the end of the story. The guy who bought it apparently never contacted him back and said anything about it. So I don't know, but. Anyways, I would be oh, furious man. if I bought a dirt jumper and the seat tape was filled with feta cheese. Feta cheese, because that's bound to have ended up smelling pretty bad. Oh my god! Weeks later, oh, I was, that's dead what I thought it would garage. happen. That's what I thought would have happened. That's why I did it. Oh, that's awesome. Feta's yeah. not a mild smell to begin with. I mean, let's just. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next question: <laughs> If Jeff started an acapella group, what would the name be? I would call it the Lost Cartographers. Oh, that's good. Do you like it? Got an adventure like out there, mysterious. Is acapella two words? That's definitely yeah, spelled so. wrong. Is it? I think. Well, no, I don't know. Acapella. Weren't well, you a third grade spelling bee champion, Jared? Yeah. Well, runner up. <laughs> <laughs> but his mom called him champ so, from well, then on. Here's if the acapella thing. is spelled A space C A P E L L A. Acapella. Um, but here's right. the thing: the lost cartographers. You'd be pretty bad at your job if you're lost. That's the point. See, <laughs> see, he knows what a cartographer is. Cartographer is someone who uh, creates maps. That's why that there's the irony. It's, it's cool. It's, I love okay. it. It's a great yeah. name. All right. There's Let's, probably like three women on the planet that'd be like, "Oh my god, that's a cool name." I think there's probably at least four. Okay, yeah. well, that's optimistic. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, mountain bike related <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah, we got a little off topic. 
What product revolutionized the mountain bike community the most? Mm. Liam, what is your answer? I'm going to go with probably the dropper post, I think. Okay. I think as a whole. Mm. Are you talking about like the entirety of mountain bike history? Or like, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's not specified. You can, um, you can say that or not. Yeah. I'm going to say, yeah, let's go with I, the entirety of mountain bike history. Okay. Going yeah, the the problem is we've not been along that for all yeah, much. But I've, got, I've worked on, I've worked on bikes yeah. from, you know, 1980 and up. So True. dropper post final answer. I almost want to take it back. Mm. I'm going to say, oh, man, that's a pretty, that's it's a, a really one. good one. But I think tubeless tires and tubeless interfacing on wheels okay. and tires. That's fair. Yeah, you can sum that up as like properly engineered tubeless tires. Not yeah. like forget the whole patch of maybe four years where tubeless tires kind of sucked because they weren't specifically tubeless and then rims weren't. Yeah, that, that yeah, was a whole yeah. awkward change but I think I think once it all got a great interface and tire rim combo became really good. You could ride a bike with a rigid post, but if you had like hard tires that didn't conform and you know flex well, it just wouldn't. well people do yeah. forget. I mean, maybe they don't forget, but I sometimes forget that prior to dropper posts, you just had a quick release seat post clamp. Yeah. You remember that? And yeah, you just yeah. got to the top of your climb and you lowered the seat for sure. The seat down. Yeah. yeah. Or I'm, you just rode with it up your butt, like some people still do. Yeah. I mean, I raced I raced XC for years, and I was like, why do I need a dropper post? This, yeah. I, know. I don't a lot need of one. XC guys. Yeah. yeah. And then now I can't ride with that one, but. I always rode a tubeless tires and low pressure, and without that, yeah. probably wouldn't have had the same experience. So true. That's that's my answer, Jared. That's a good answer. I am at a tie here between suspension and disc brakes because well, like, I feel like those are two so, huge things. Yeah, yeah, just disc brakes in general. Disc brakes. I think from yeah. rim brakes. Yeah. I think disc brakes was in my mind, but suspension's so broad. They had suspension in 1990. Yeah, but it was not very god. Well, I'm talking about like useless from like the beginning of mountain bikes, right? Like, like full rigid like, rim brake bike, you know, versus suspension yeah. and disc brakes. And so the golden era of suspension is pike onwards. Yeah. When I the Rockstox pike was introduced, that's when the next benchmark was created of yeah. suspension. That's where I'm at. I'm a tie for suspension on mountain bikes and disc brakes on mountain bikes. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Sorry to take like all your answers but what do you think jeff you know it's a tough question because i don't know if there's been one specific major revolution because it's been like most things where it's been a lot of iterations For over sure. decades mm-hmm. and i think that we're i'm just trying to even remember i mean we weren't around like there was 26 inch wheels and then there was 29 and 27.5 which made a pretty huge difference in traction and everything so, but I think mountain bikes maybe originally had tinier wheels or super skinny tires. Oh, oh that's still an iteration, though. Well, then, like, the rim technology just wasn't there, you know. Uh, Tire and rim technology was I'm going to I'm going to go with dropper post. The reason being because, like, all these other iterations made the bike work better, absolutely, mm-hmm. um, just like the dropper post did. But the dropper post, to me, was revolutionary because it, it dramatically changed your ride. It wasn't just like, oh, my bike shifts better. Oh, my bike's more squishy. Or, oh, my brakes work better. It was like, oh, I don't have to stop four times a ride and lower my dropper post, or I can just ride this bike way faster and have a better experience on it going downhill. So yeah. I'm going to go with, like, the dropper post. I have yeah. another one that just came into my head, and I'm going to throw another ring, and I'm going to say one by drive, one by drive trains. 
because oh yeah, the death of the yeah, factory. Yeah, that was a hell of a revolution. Like, Jesus, thing sucked. Even the two by just dropping chains all day. Yeah. It's like the worst thing ever. Ruins your ride. Like yeah. oh, got great flow right now. Oh, yeah. love this trail. Oh, cool. I just dropped my chain. Mm. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Front trailers were so bad. They're terrible. Well, this leads right into the next question, which is, what do you think the next mountain biking innovation will be, and when do you think it will come? Mmm. Mmm. Mm, Pretty optimized right now. What do you think the next innovation will be, Liam? I, what the next innovation I would like to see, mm-hmm. um, personally... I would really like to see a major drivetrain company make a really well-performing gearbox mm. that doesn't weigh a That's whole lot more. That's what I was going to say. That's you stole my answer. That's what I would like to see. Um, it would it would fix why bikes keep getting wider, right? We had 142. Now we have 148, which is boost, spacing. In the, I'm talking about rear hub. Mm-hmm. Now we have super boost, or I like to say stupid boost, it's just wider, and we can't mix max wheels, and it makes me frustrated. Um, all that would be, like, so easily solved if we took 12 speeds off the rear hub, moved them in the middle of the frame, weight would be lower, and then we could basically run a single speed out back, widen out the spoke flange. Mm-hmm. It's, like, the last significant change that could be made. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, uh, I still don't think it's, like, major, but after riding a Zerod that actually has a gearbox, and I was mm-hmm. like, wow, it actually does just behave the bike behaves better it performs yeah. better in the way you ride it because the weight is centered correctly yeah. the weight centered um, the hub saves the, rear hub the whole like chain growth problem I mean, it solves growth, like all, all these issues yeah but there are its own inherent issues too right for sure well that's why we're saying like a, a properly performing i think gearboxes now they work pretty good but they don't work amazing right yeah. you know i mean if they worked amazing every bike I'd, brand would be trying to put one on their bike instead of a regular given that sram has such great performing wireless shifting mm-hmm. make a wireless shifting ah. gearbox yeah with electronic shifting instead uh, yeah. of manual yeah um when a gearbox the weights in the middle of the bike i think that to me is probably the next innovation nice if it could happen okay yeah yep I would, that's exactly what I would say. I would like to see that because yeah. I think almost everything else is so perfected. Yeah. Maybe like tires still suck, you yeah. know, to some extent. People still get flat tires. I mean, that's kind of annoying. Yeah, it's an hour and a half late to work today. Yeah, because of flat tire. Yeah, yeah. so like there could be some nice innovations in tires that might actually solve flat tires forever. That would be cool. But I don't know. I would. I don't have enough problems with tires that I'm bothered, but I, I just think yeah. bikes would work way better if the drivetrain and all the yeah. weight was like tucked in i have yeah, one cool. more little one i can add but i'm gonna let you answer first jared i'm gonna say that i don't think the next major innovation is going to be for the end user but for the manufacturing side mm. because i think that there are ways we can be more sustainable and uh efficient with manufacturing especially with like carbon um yeah that's true yeah the whole industry now is not very green in the sense of piles of carbon frames that are thrown away and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's where the like next major innovation at least should happen. I don't know if that was the ask like the question asker's intent uh, for that question, but I think that would be like the most useful innovation for the industry. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it uh, was it Richard Cunningham, the pink bike guy, who did the extensive yeah. research and article on carbon versus aluminum frames yeah. in terms of a environmental perspective? I want to say it kind of ended up being a wash. It was a tie. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of a tie because there was a, there was massive issues with both. And like if you yeah. read that whole thing, you kind of left it with like, well, either one really sucks and neither is good. Yeah, so. I mean, manufacturing in general is, yeah, I mean, you're kind of stuck anything. between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Being efficient and like, you know. Producing something that people want. So, yep. yeah, yeah, that's where I'm cool. at. Cool, nice. I like yeah. it. To just changed changed up the answer there. Like yeah. Uh, how does geometry affect riding feel? Tall and steep versus long and slack. Mm. So basically, we're going. That's like a really hard question because yeah. it kind of depends on who's asking it. You and know, if you're already pretty knowledgeable yeah. about the differences between bike geos and why they're like that, then you probably know the answer. But I guess if you're not. You know, and you don't understand. I guess if you're if you're novice enough to ask that question, you probably don't realize like why do XC bikes have steeper head angles, and you know whatever versus downhill bikes. Like you probably don't totally grasp that yet. But I mean, geometry on a bike is engineered for what the bike's intended use case is for. Yeah. So if you're riding it predominantly pedaling it or climbing it up hills, then the geometry is going to be tailored towards that. If you're riding it predominantly really fast down steep hills, then the geometry will be tailored to that. Yeah. Does that but make I, sense? Did yeah. I, I think this I is... I oh, will say, though, now, because it, it's tall and steep versus long and slack, I would say the main difference between a 2020-2021 current XC bike mm-hmm. to a current, you know, super enduro bike, so I'm going to say, like, in the 120 or under rear travel range to a 170 and up rear travel range, now, the broad end's the broad end of the spectrum. The main difference, they're all basically BB heights, very similar. They're the same pretty length, much length and reach and front centers. The main difference is head tube angle. Yeah, that like, is one of the defining ones. And, yeah. and then because of head, tame, <coughs> head tube angle slacker, you then get more wheelbase, so you get more stability. But, like, if you look at, I mean, my current evil following has, a, like, a 480 reach on a large. It's, like over what XLs were three years ago. It's pretty long. Four years yeah, ago. they've grown. So, yeah, bikes have grown you know, a lot. so, like, that kind of takes a lot of this question out, and it's just, like, why do you get a slacker head tube? <laughs> and that's pretty much the mm-hmm. main difference. Why do you get a slacker head tube versus a steeper one? And that's for the terrain and type of riding you're doing. Basically, yeah. what would you say? This long and slack is going to give the bike more stability versus this tall and steep bike on, on chunky, steep whatever type terrain. Well, not necessarily, because it's less stability if you're climbing it. Yeah. So right. it's more, stabil- more well, stability I mean, like for its downhill. intended use case. Right. Correct. And, you know, therefore, there's a give and take. The better it works downhill, the worse it's going to work uphill. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. Well, so, there you go. Yeah, Bike Geo is tough. There's, well, two videos I want to quickly plug for whoever asked that question. We did a mountain bike buyer's guide where I kind of went over, like, all the various different types of mountain bikes that might be useful and there's another video that we talked about high-rise bars, so why are high-rise mountain bike bars gaining popularity? And in that video, we had a number of uh, kind of just like images and explanation on like why XC bikes are so low on the front end and then why downhill bikes are maybe higher. Um, that's just helpful to like understand geometry and how bikes are and components are engineered differently given the use case that they're made for. All right, what's the next question, Willie? What do you think about mullet bikes? Are they really the future? On paper, it looks quite good. And by mullet bikes, they're meaning bikes with 
that have two different wheel sizes. So the current trend uh, in about the last year or so is running a 29er front wheel with a 27.5 rear wheel. The concept's not new. There's been a ton of mixed match wheels throughout. Don't you remember the, 69ers? 69ers. Gary <laughs> Before 27.5 yeah. existed. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah 29 G- front wheel, 26 rear. Gary Fisher, I believe, <laughs> yeah. did that. I think that was a Gary Fisher model. Um, I remember the old like specialized P Street had a 26 front with a 24 oh, yeah, rear. Yeah, wow. yeah, like a yeah. Dirt jump style bike. Dirt yeah. jump style and some free ride bikes back in the day. So it's not new, but what made it gain popularity is UCI. So. Uh, basically the racing body for downhill. Union Cyclist International. Yeah, I didn't know what it stand for because whatever. It's UCI. <laughs> Who cares? The um, they changed the ruling that for some reason it said bikes had to have the same size wheels. Well, they changed that, took it out, and said run with it and do whatever you want. So then a bunch of people, a bunch of top people, top racers started running 27.5 rear wheels for with two nine fronts. Um, so, yeah. What do you guys think? I think this kind of goes back to what you're saying, Jeff, is the use case. Like, you're obviously not going to do this on a, you know, XC or downcountry bike, but maybe for a trail or enduro or downhill bike, you know. Yeah, I I just think it's one of those things that it's negligible. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you might notice it and like it. Um, and there's just, just like anything, there's pros and cons, right? So, like, the whole, it might maybe it corners a little snappier and feels good when you're like flowing on a downhill with a smaller 27.5 rear wheel and 29 front, but it's obviously not going to climb as good. It's not going to have the same contact patch, um, when you're climbing and, and roll over things as much as a 29 inch wheel would be. Cornering. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's just like pros and cons to it. So like, is it better? It's kind of one of those things that's just like saying, well, is this length change day better than the other? Well, it's not necessarily. It depends on what you, how you want it to behave and how you prefer it to behave. Yep. So it gets, it gets a little preferential, I think, yeah. um, which to live, me makes it like, yeah, yeah, which to me makes it not like revolutionary or the future. It just makes it like yet another thing you can do, just like you can another run flat option. bars or high rise bars yep. depending on your preference. True. Yeah. 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 I think. So I've I've two two takes on it or two points on this. I think your height and leg. You know, inseam does matter. Um, it seems like on the World Cup scene, people kind of 5'10-ish and under are starting to really get along with it and running it. Um, gets the rear wheel out of their way. Their weight's a little bit lower. Um, they can probably corner and, and maneuver the bike side to side a little bit better. 5'10 uh, and up seems to just be running a full 2'9 setup mm-hmm. um, and not changing it. So that I think that might have something to do with it, especially on, like, downhill racing. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I actually built up a Revel rail as a mullet, and I want to try it out. Um, so that bike is designed for 27.5? Designed for 27.5. Yeah. I put a 29-inch front wheel, and to compensate for the front-end rise, I lowered the fork down in travel. I ran a lower-rise bar than I normally do, and I slammed the stem all the way down to basically get the same height that you would if it was a 27.5 yeah, bike. like bar to the ground, yep. you're talking about. <clears throat> so... I rode it around, I had it for like, I don't know, not a whole long time, maybe six weeks, um, long enough to get a feel for it and ride it. I actually was able to take it up like Santa Cruz and took it on some shuttle days as well as just my local terrain. Um, in Santa Cruz, it was pretty awesome. It was super fun, but Santa Cruz riding, if you're not familiar, is pretty much steep. It's got some tight corners. It's got like loamy kind of soil, so your tires can dig into it, so tire patch isn't as like 
necessary as super dry SoCal, um, and there's also berms there. Then I was in SoCal. Just that helps. Berms help. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, berms help. traction while cornering? Have a berm. <laughs> yeah, so SoCal, super rocky, kind of straight trails. We don't have a whole lot of tight switchbacks here. Um, I just personally felt that the rear wheel, rear wheel got hung up more than if I was on a full 29er. Um, and I also do quite a bit of climbing uh, on all my bikes, so definitely didn't feel quite as efficient on the climbing side of things. So I just chose to uh, buddy one in the frame, and I just bought a new 29er frame and ran it like that. So, yeah, I don't think it, I, don't, I think like Jeff said, it's a it's a preference, and it might work good for some people, especially on the more gravity focused riding. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, it's another one of those things you have to tell people, yeah, try it yourself, see what you think. Yeah, <laughs> And exactly. I'm like, how do I do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not not an easy one to test and see what you think about it. Find a buddy with a 27.5-inch bike and steal his rear wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yep. If you already have a 29er. Right, yeah, if you have a 29er. And hope that his uh, hub has the same spacing as yours. <laughs> There's a few factors that go into this, but let us know how it works out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, next question. How do non-EMTB components work on EMTBs in terms of durability? So to clarify that, um, a whole there used to just not be such thing as EMTB-specific anything, and then all of these various mountain bike brands started making EMTB-specific components and even apparel, which is what. Uh, yeah, I know, dude. Tell me about it. EMTB. Apparel. Well, now it's like a running joke in the bike industry is like EMTB specific this, and it's like people yeah. make fun of it because brands are just like eating it up. Yeah. Um, so so, anyways, and there, but all these brands came out with EMTB specific components, some of which made a lot of sense, right? So like mm-hmm. SRAM's EMTB drivetrain has less gears to it. Uh, the way they engineered like the shifting ramps and blah 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 are made for more torque. Like that actually makes a lot of sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. Why they did that. Um, then there's brands that have like EMTB grips and saddles and shoes. And it's like, okay, that might, you might just be trying to like yeah. put this EMTB logo on it so you can sell some shit, you know, but some made sense, some doesn't. And the modern day, like electronic mountain bike nowadays typically has a mishmash of like some things that are EMTB specific and some things that are not, um, some of which is totally fine. Some of which is not, uh, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is confusing. I think drivetrains make a lot of sense because like e-mountain bikes e-bikes put a lot more pressure on drivetrains for yep. sure i think um, uh, wheels and stuff yeah. like that matters but wheels i mean things tires. like grips bars saddles no. like that's dropper pose like, it's all exactly the same yeah. like yeah. there's no there's no difference so yeah i think drivetrains and wheels and tires uh, i think michelin makes an e-spec yeah. tire mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and basically it kind of just has a harder rubber and more of a dh casing to it yeah, because um, the bike has more weight to the it. The bike has yeah. more weight, and Makes because sense. you're kind of ripping more uh, miles and terrain on an e-bike, a harder compound rubber on your tire will last longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then wheels, yeah, durability on wheels. So, But he's asking how do non-EMTB components work on EMTBs? Uh, they're going to pretty much work the same. Drive chains, you might chew up chains more. Yeah, possibility kind of depends of on which chains one, more. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, like some things like, you know, like code RSC, like that's just going to work fine, right? I mean, you don't need an EMTB code RSC. Like, well, I guess TRP has like a DHR, I don't know, Evo, I guess. Which I is mean, like, you're going to need more you know, powerful brakes the faster and the heavier the bike is. Pretty much right? uh, 
non-EMTB components, just use downhill components and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to some extent, yeah, For that makes sense. Part, yeah. Right? yeah, I think I think the thing to be cautious of is that, you know, like I mentioned, some EMTB specific components like the, actually yeah. like the SRAM's drive, drive train, trains, like yeah. that makes a lot of sense to be made just for an EMTB mm-hmm. and it's more durable and it's purpose built for the changes an EMTB puts on a drivetrain. Other things are just brands making a cash grab and trying to slap an EMTB logo on it and sell it to novice EMTBers. Yep. So just watch out for that. Like forks and stuff. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. I don't know, man. Forks I'm, are questionable. Jury's out on that because yeah. like, there's still more weight to that yeah. bike, but then it's, yeah. And beefy know. fork, like, I yeah, Fox 40 from a downhill bike probably be just fine, you know? Or, like, yeah. the Fox 38 probably well, just fine. Or Fox or whatever. does have a couple different tunes. They do. They have th- Three levels of forks, technically. They have yeah. a standard, an e-tuned, and an e-optimized. Yeah. I have I wrote interrogated a whole blog on that. the people we know at Fox <laughs> yeah. about this situation. And so. I will say from a real-world uh, experience, a buddy of mine bought a e-bike with a Fox uh, e-tuned 38 on it. Which is, like, just the damper, right? Just the damper. Yeah. Because the, they don't make it e-optimized because it's already, like, beefy enough. Right. So just the e-tuned damper. And he's like, dude, this fork's amazing. I've never gotten along with Fox before. Like, maybe I should try the new 38 on my other bike. And so he bought a standard 38. And he's like, it can't get to feel the same. Hmm. I can't get it to feel the same. Like, what are we? what's the difference? I'm like, well, that's E-Tune. This isn't. So there might be something to the damper. I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah, but it, does that mean that it is is better for an e-bike or no, just I'm, better for his preferences I'm just, I'm just on saying, any bike he I'm just saying it's different. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah. They're, they're well, they didn't some, just put a sticker on it. Yeah, they actually changed well, something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we're talking Fox. That's I'm, a reputable brand. Yeah, I'm yeah. clarifying some <laughs> yeah. things, you know, like suspension. Yeah. There is, there's an e-version that is different. Yeah. 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 So. Makes sense. Right, let's keep talking about Fox. There we oh, go. Oh, yeah. Next question. Next Ex- question. Explain why Fox made the Float X, and will they phase out the DPX2? So we're talking rear shocks here. Um, when do you guys answer that? Go. Well... Fox made the Float X, uh, well, because they improved on the DPX too. I mean, it's a little more adjustable yeah. and a little more like progressive, and I don't know. They just improve suspension. You can, can constantly improve. Suspension, Was this explained yeah. in our fairly recent Fox 2022 suspension video that you did, Jared? Uh, I believe it. I uh, didn't exactly go over like why they made the Float X. I explained like yeah, the differences between the Float X and DPX too. Mm. Um, yeah. But so we can go back in time yeah. a few years too. They already had a float X in the line. Mm-hmm. Then they updated that and made the DPX2. Right. So just to like clarify, it's a new shock. I think they changed the name. Now they went, you know, changed from DPX2 naming convention back to the float X. Um, and like you said, it's got new features, some different adjustable um, stuff on it. And will they phase out the DPX2? Yes, for metric sizing. No, for imperial sizing. Correct. At least for now, right? At least, for now. Like, at least that we, as far as we know, you know, they might yep. do uh, metric size float or excuse me, uh, imperial size float X in the future, but we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just a new shock. Got some new features, new tuning. They're able to put some new technology in it, um, and that's why they made it. And they just changed the name. Instead of calling it the 2022 DPX2, they just changed it back to the Floatex name. Yeah. Same application. Super mm. plush, bro. Super plush. Naming conventions in the mountain bike industry. We could have a whole podcast just complaining about that from <laughs> e- for every brand. Every brand, I 
We could. Yeah, we were just recently yeah. talking about how, like, it makes sense. Like, Fox's fork lineup makes a lot of sense, 32, 34. And once you realize that those numbers correlate to the stanchion diameter and blah, 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 like, it's like, oh, okay, this all this whole, like, fork lineup makes sense. 40 for downhill, 32 for cross-country. And then someone's like, yeah, but what about the rear shocks? And it's like, oh, yep, nope, that's completely confusing <laughs> in every possible way. And then the rock shocks fork lineup and their rear shock lineup is just, like, random names and, it, like, None of it makes any sense. Super for deluxe. I mean, those are two of the same word. The super deluxe, yeah. That's super deluxe like, ultimate. That's like three of the same word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Now, my industry naming conventions, I'm I'm utterly perplexed perplexed by all the time. E13, I'm calling you out too. Yours are confusing. LG1 plus EN. TRS. TRS. TRS R. TRS R plus. TRS plus. Four plus. What? <laughs> yeah, it's confusing. Okay, we're we're going into the whole podcast ranting. That's all. You just go brand by brand. Yeah, we go right into that podcast right now. It's all yeah. super. Yeah. Clear. I'll be ready for another hour and a half. Super clear to me, guys. You guys are just not educating yourself. Yeah, you just memorized it your whole life. Yeah. Uh, okay. Choose, last question. Last question. Choose one bike on the market right now to ride for the next three years oh. for all of your riding. Mm. Wow, hard yeah, let question. Me, that's, let me, like, that's like let me one pair of question. shoes for all of your steps for the next three years. Let me start this not question. a good idea. Have any of us owned a bike for um, three years and ridden it? Um, not like a bike that I love the bike, I'm never yeah, selling yeah, yeah. it. A current bike you're riding, mountain bike, even a road bike. Like, but like used it at least once every one to two months for three years straight. Correct. It's been a little while, but never yes, I have. I bought a Santa Cruz Nomad in about 2015. Um, when that new Nomad came out, Gen 3, I think it was Nomad 3. And then I rode it pretty much until I started working here, um, until I got my first employee bike, and that was a little over three years. Impressive, man. Thanks. But yeah, now, it was not in the bike industry. Ha- <laughs> now your habit's out of control. Yeah. Okay, so I guess I'll just go into my answer. I'd probably go for a trail bike, probably like a SB130 lunch ride or maybe a Rascal. And then I would probably, okay, yeah, given I'd probably want to have two different sets of wheels, cross-country. No, oh, now you're really screwing no. this. <laughs> one bike. One bike, dude. One, one bike, setup. okay, fine. Yeah, Can I, I have two different sets of tires, oh. please? Nope, one bike, one One setup. bike oh, and tires? This is, to, this is horrendous. Do I have to keep the same tires for three years? One, I've uh, never, like, I go in caves out. and crevices, and I don't, feel, I don't ever feel claustrophobic, but I feel claustrophobic because of this question of limiting <laughs> my bike options <laughs> i mean i agree with you i'm i'm the worst i'm emotionally so. and mentally claustrophobic and i've never felt like i'm this. in a glass case of emotion i'm in a glass <laughs> case of emotion what is that from Anchorman, Anchorman, yeah. yeah that's right well All jeff right. what's your pick oh i i would pick the revel rascal man i mean i think i think just type of bike i would pick a 130 millimeter rear travel 29 inch wheeled bike i think that that is still so capable on you like you can ride that down some gnarly downhill and you can still ride that on cross country trails and not be like irritated about it like right. it won't be too heavy it's like this perfect middle ground where it just works for nearly everything so it's it's just like the ideal middle ground bike that 130 mil travel 29er so that's what i would pick and i would pick a rebel rascal which i did ride for a long time in in 2019 um, I mean, obviously, preferably, I would have, like, over four bikes for all various different reasons. But, um, yeah, I w- that's the type of bike I'd pick in which one. What do you got, Liam? Liam? Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. Yeah. yeah. 130-ish trail bike, 29-inch wheels front and rear. Although I am 
decently impressed with this evil following, and I feel like I could just throw 130 pike on it and run it for like 95% of my stuff right now. Mm-hmm. But what it's about true. this like Colorado Crested Butte trip we got I'd, going? I'd you run it. You still want to ride that? Yeah. Over a 130? Yeah. Mm. But I'm still going to go with my original pick of a 130 trail bike. Probably. Yeah, which it, one? It would be really hard to pick between a Revel Rascal and a Yeti SP130. I think if I had to pick one for everything, I'd probably lean Yeti SP130. A little longer, a little slacker. So you could ride more downhill, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, I'd actually leave the 150 fork on it. Just really? Just standard build, yeah. I thought you said lunch ride. I just nope, heard just that in my own mind. For for all around riding, because it'd climb better. Um, I could do everything. 150 travel up front's a lot, man. Yeah, I mean, like, true. Yeah. Rarely do I ride stuff where, like, I need more travel. Yeah. It's like, you know. So it's unanimous, 130 mil, 29er. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, I just think a wheelbase and a geo of the 130 would be better if I went to a bike park and rode shuttle laps. Yeah. But. Yeah. Depends on how often you do that. Exactly. The the Rascal's a second right there. Yeah. Right there. I always advise people to buy a bike that is purpose-built and designed for the terrain you personally ride the most often. Yeah. So if you're riding XC trails 85% of the time, buy an XC bike. Yep. You know, if, if you're, it just depends. Like just yep. buy for whatever you're 80, using 20 most roll. often. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's, what I always tell what's people. What's 80% of your riding? But most like, uh, that's why I think like a, a, you know, 130 mil travel 29er works for what most mountain yep. bikers do. And obviously it's the, in my opinion, and all apparently all of ours, it's the most versatile True. In terms of like, you can still ride XC trails and be happy. You can still take it to the bike park and be happy. Versatility is key. Versatility is key. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good quote to end on. That's it. That's all. Any last words, Jared? Thank you for listening, and we love you. Keep and calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on, and uh, take a look at the MTB Podcast YouTube channel if you want to digest your videos there or podcasts there. Or if you want to see me shirtless. Exactly. That's why. That's what I was getting to. <laughs> uh, halfway through the podcast, Jared took his shirt yeah. off because he was so sweaty and it was so hot. And you can only see that on the YouTube channel. Too hot to handle. Too hot to handle. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. See you next time. Bye. Later, mates. Bye. Bye. Bye.